Welcome to Conversations with Owens Community College President, Dr. Dion D. Somerville. Hello, and welcome back for the third episode of the Conversations podcast. I'm Dr. Dion D. Somerville, and a warm welcome to all of our first-time listeners who are joining us today. If this is your first time, I invite you to check out our first two episodes. The first is when we spoke to Ohio Department of Higher Education Chancellor Randy Gardner. The second is when we spoke to Toledo Fire and Rescue Chief Allison Armstrong. Through our conversations with leaders like Chancellor Gardner and Chief Armstrong, we can explore some of the most important issues that are facing Northwest Ohio and how Owens fits into that picture. For me personally, starting a podcast has given me an opportunity to engage in meaningful conversations with individuals who share my passion for serving our community. Dr. Romulus Durant definitely embodies that. As the superintendent of Toledo Public Schools for nearly nine years, Dr. Durant is a Toledo native and lifelong resident who took his own exciting journey through higher education with the very specific goal of coming back and serving TPS. After earning his bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees from the University of Toledo, Dr. Durant has been employed by TPS since 1999, first as a teacher, then as an administrator and assistant superintendent. But it really is his time as the district's superintendent where he's made some of the most incredible impacts on our community. In that time, TPS has jumped from fourth to first place in its rankings among Ohio's largest school districts, with a graduation rate increase of 15% overall and even higher for minority students and those students living in poverty. Dr. Durant has also made a point of embedding career readiness and job pathways into education. From STEM-focused elementary schools, tech industry partnerships, and magnet high schools, all to ensure that more students can be aware of post-secondary opportunities, earn college credit while still in high school, and access multiple certificate and associate degree tracks. Owens is proud to be a destination for so many TPS students, and it's my absolute pleasure to chat with Dr. Durant today. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Dr. Dion Somerville. Today we have Dr. Romulus Durant, who is the superintendent of Toledo Public Schools. It is such a pleasure having you here today. You know, it is always a pleasure to be on campus on Community College. I appreciate the work that you've done thus far and continue to do. And so I appreciate you having me on for guided conversation. You know, the partnership that Owens has with TPS has been something impressed upon me since I started almost a year ago. And so I couldn't dream of having this podcast if it weren't for you being one of the initial guests. So I really appreciate your willingness to be here. So one of the questions that I've asked every participant so far for the podcast is, tell us about your educational journey. We know that everyone has to make a decision that they need something or want something beyond high school. So what was that like for you? You know what, coming up, grew up in a household, my father was a football coach. So just naturally with all youth, where they're kind of exposed to more of the entertainment world than necessarily the academia. And so obviously it was the thought of going to the NFL. It was really grinding through the elementary, then went on to Wade High School, which really helped in essence of really getting culturization and at the same time development of the person, identity, and it truly had prepared me for today. But, you know, going through that process landed me into the opportunity to play at the University of Toledo. Excited Rocket, a Rocket for Life, and appreciated that opportunity because there was a lot of learning uh, opportunities that went on. But the Wade High School experience, when individuals kind of speak to what I call a social IQ and and how do you relate with many people on different mm-hmm. levels, uh, whether it's socioeconomic, race, religion, gender, whatever that may be, there's always a fluid as well as smooth relationship 
relationship for the fact that I've experienced that and went to school with that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what my father always advocated for was that at the end of the day, the academia is my responsibility. I'll make sure that you'll get it and, and get what's necessary. But at the end of the day, the social education is what you really need in order to be successful in this world. And so he wanted me to be at the most diversified school and Wade High School with that school. Well, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times people, especially if they're not familiar with college athletics from the inside out, they look at athletics as just fun and games or as only entertainment, and they don't necessarily focus on the learning aspect. And you talked about values of inclusion and interpersonal skills and communication and leadership. And so can you talk a little bit about the role that athletics plays in TPS? Athletics is probably one of the major foundations. Uh, One, just leadership. Um, But when you speak from an academic perspective, uh, you know, I've generated somewhat of the notion of of being a, a real data guy. And so when people ask in regard to, you know, because I used to tutor statistics one and two at the university for medical students, mm-hmm. they used to always ask an individual, say, where did you learn this? What course was it? Who, what instructor and et cetera? And I said, University of Toledo football. At the end of the day, to be a student athlete and to be successful as being a educator on the field, you need to know the tendencies of those who call the plays mm-hmm. and the tendencies of those who defend the plays. And at the end of the day, when you're able to tap into the minds of understanding that this person has the human habit of calling certain plays on the field, mm-hmm. you begin to put yourself in position to be ahead of it opposed to behind it. And so through that, I learned it very thoroughly in regard to really understanding how it impacted football, but then began to realize human habit applies across the board. Again, tutoring is not just an act of homework. Tutoring is an aspect of changing one's mindset and essence of getting more and more closer to the correct answer than necessarily the wrong answer. But the main thing is, what are those habits within their process of reasoning through the question you have to figure out and then begin to design and execute a lesson that that allows the child to really be successful more than not. And so uh, statistics is a huge one. Mission and vision. Mm -hmm. I can tell you this. You walk into the school district. uh, Everyone understands and knows the mission and vision of the district. Every cabinet meeting, board meeting, executive meeting, director meeting, all start mission and vision. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, this is what we're here for. And all that was learned through University of Toledo. Don't dare the football player walk into a team meeting room and not know the mission, vision, and core values of the team. If you didn't know it, you'll be running afterwards, and that was something (laughs) you didn't want to do. But what we found was, after we began to learn it, we began to really internalize it as one win turned into two wins, Mm -hmm. and three wins turned into four, and before you know it, we were MAC champions, and then we were bowl champions, and all these things were predicated based on we all bought in to that mission and we all bought into that vision and you know it made a huge difference and so that kind of been a platform within the district what does it mean to be college and career ready so when they hear about the different initiatives the different programs the different partnerships they begin to realize this is alignment pathway for college and career ready so when dr Durant asked what the mission and vision we say college and career ready we truly understand it at the same time understand our role as bus drivers food service workers maintenance as well as teachers and educators uh, within the building that play within that that pipeline you know you talk about that shared vision that everyone throughout tps has that goes a long way in achieving what your mission and vision is. One of the questions that I have for you related to this is, what made you decide to want to be a superintendent? I know what my job is, 
and I look at what school superintendents have to go through, and it doesn't sound like the job for just anyone off the street to want to do, <laughs> given all of the pressures and you know all of the thousands of young people's lives who yeah. you, you literally have in your hands right there. And so what made you want to be a superintendent? Well, you would put it in perspective. There's one thing about being a superintendent. It's another being a superintendent in an urban school district, which has its own coalition across the country that shows a huge turnover rate within that based on all the challenges that you're trying to correct the social norms within an educational institution. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about, in essence, uh, the superintendency, you know, one of the things that I always wanted to do was have a bigger influence than the audience that I was in front of. Mm -hmm. And so it came down to understanding before I went into it, I guess, one, going into education. Education didn't necessarily meet my mindset of wanting to do until one day at the university, my freshman year, walking across campus, and uh, this gentleman who was responsible for our academics for athletes, he said to me, why aren't you in education? I responded to him, which is the norm that I hear other people say that that's a false narrative, and that is there's no money in education. He said to me, do I look like I'm struggling? And I said, no, sir. And then that's when he began to speak to me and said for it that changed my life. So then I eventually enrolled and changed my major mm -hmm. into education and then began to lay out a plan. So it was kind of like a 10 to 15 year plan of all the degrees I needed to attain in order to be in a position of a superintendency. And at being at a young age, I need to be able to have these type of degrees to be able to show uh, somewhat of the discipline as well as maturity that Board of Education seek when looking out for a superintendent. And so the aspect of looking in my classroom, I had 25 to 30 students in there and, and I realized the impact on their lives and saying but this is only confined to this group and whatever that I can have influence around this classroom. And as a principal, I realized that it was just the influence of those within this school and at the same time within this community, but I have no impact over on this side of town and that side of town merely based on the locality of the position. Mm -hmm. But at the superintendent, you have the ability to have influence on multiple layers of different areas and, and education, community, the political politics that's behind many things and et cetera, really laid uh, the opportunity of understanding when we trace back to my coming through Wade High School made a huge difference mm -hmm. because I would be able to expose to the various socioeconomics, various race that were at the school because it's very diverse. At the same time, the religions, understanding the different religious community, when Ramadan's happens as well as other fasts that happen throughout the year. And so all that happened just merely by going to school among kids who celebrated those things. And so that really laid the foundation of wanting to be a superintendent and, you know, I've just been blessed to be the superintendent here at the school district that I came up through. So you mentioned a couple of seconds ago social norms and how they manifest themselves in the education system. And your dissertation, your doctoral dissertation, was titled The Collective Factor of Social Oppression and Urban Poverty on the Achievement of Black Students. That's a fascinating title. Yeah. I admit I have not read it. Yeah. But can you talk to me a little bit about it and what were some of your major takeaways? What's the biggest thing that your research still informs that you do every day? It really laid the foundation because a lot of the research was in there in essence of really studying historical aspects 
as well as the current impact of today's generation and really seeing that, you know, in a statistical model, you can't use variables that are highly related because they overlap each other, mm-hmm. which I would consider a statistical flaw in essence because at the end of the day, when you measure them independently, they have a significant impact on the study. And so my thing is that I'm, you may not be able to do this in a statistical model, but from a narrative at the same time from a empirical matter of just observing, you recognize that poverty and all these other factors compound together to have a greater impact on those within those communities. And so within it, the study began to look at, in essence, what are some major barriers that could somewhat be implemented and corrected to a certain degree that you could offset some of these limitations. And so when you talk about poverty and you talk about the return on investment on early childhood education, Mm -hmm. I tell people, you know, the best intervention is a prevention. If you're waiting until a kid gets 60 years of age, it's too late at that point in time for most aspects. Why? Because the child had developed neurological patterns of over 95% of their brain, and that's when all of a sudden they're now in kindergarten, and a teacher trying to rework all that background knowledge that makes sense to education. And so when you're, when, when the engineers of education are within the time frame, the deep patterns are happening between birth and six years of age, they make a huge difference in laying the foundation mm-hmm. of really being able to excel in the primary grades, leading to the middle, to high school grades and right into employment so which is why it speaks to the volume of the higher graduation rate when you have kids in early childhood education the higher uh, college enrollment and graduation rate as well as employment merely relative and addictive of pre-k uh linda johnson said in the 60s that in the day the nation's biggest problem is poverty and until we overcome poverty we will continue to have our struggles and he initially started the head start mm-hmm. initiative within that bill with title one again you begin to look at the impact of pre-k but we we never taken that battle any further than that execution of, of his bill and so now we're starting to get into the conversation of universal pre-k We are one of the very few industrialized countries in the world to not have universal pre-K. But at the same time, you begin to look at aspects that I was measuring in regards to parenting, Mm -hmm. single parent versus dual parenting. And at the end of the day, how do you overcome the limitation of a child who is dealt a hand of not having both parents? Mm -hmm. And that's through mentorship. So how does mentorship really help to overcome these things and these variables? Because no one exceeds or succeeds without mentorship, regardless whether it's myself or anyone else. We've all excelled in life through the mentorship as well as support system that were provided for us. But at the end of the day, these all create this culture of poverty Mm -hmm. that provides limitations and a lot of the things in education. Like I tell people again, from you know pre-K to third grade, you learn to read. Third to twelfth grade, you read for learning. If reading is slowed, so is your learning. Kids read their way into college, they write their way out of college. And at the end of the day, they begin to see the addictiveness of reading and writing and for success. That's kind of really what the foundation is really generating that let's take a look at these variables. Mm-hmm. What are some things to overcome these variables within it? Because at the end of the day, we can't continue to turn a blind eye. And so that led us to the initiative of going after the Head Start grant. Understand, we are one of two school districts in the state that have the Head Start grant. Uh, The other one only has 50 kids in it, but it began to speak to, in essence, of really us going against the paradigm 
and, you know, going and getting on board with the Early Childhood Initiative. And now you'll see things such as Hope Toledo and other things in regard to early childhood. It's really starting to galvanize behind this narrative to understand if you really want the best return on investment and investment in your use is always your best investment, then truly doing it on the front end opposed to the back end. Right. Well, it's really interesting because one of the things that I enjoy about my work is that I truly believe that Owens Community College is about transforming people's lives. We just do it through education, and it could be you know, a variety of different pathways. And I feel the same about K-12 through education, that it's a way, and even saying K-12 through is a misnomer when we think about the early childhood aspect of it. But as I think about that, it's about transforming lives. Mm-hmm. We just go about it in a very different way. Mm-hmm. We have different audiences, things of that nature. But I think that that's part of where that partnership is so important because education is only one piece of how someone engages in self-actualization and begins to transform themselves and their their families' lives and their communities and things of that nature. And one of the things that I've thoroughly enjoyed is getting to hear more about your vision for TPS. And as you talk about the different career readiness opportunities and the magnet schools, things of that nature, it's about that exposure and for people really to kind of see themselves in a variety of different lights and and to have ambition and to know that it's accessible. And so can you talk a little bit about the career and the college readiness and kind of what your vision is and how that moves forward? You know what, the the vision is continuum. So again, it starts in early childhood. And I say to mom and dad, the most essential time of your child's educational journey is during that time when they're with you, the primary teacher's which is you, from birth to six years of age. Six years of age is when many a time they're enrolled into kindergarten. And at the end of the day, when you look at the neurological background development, it's happening during that window of time. The more that you're able to insert these kids into opportunities and exposure, the more that you have created a natural background now for these kids to build upon foundations as they get into primary grade. So first, within this continuum of college and career readiness, we say, mom and dad, if you want to increase the probability, it starts here. Mm-hmm. And we can't say that enough but when you get into kindergarten to third grade up into fourth grade that's when we generate in regard to power standards the standards that are indicative of being successful in mathematics and reading that are indicative across the board of the areas but we recognize that if you're successful in there you will broaden an array of opportunities that you can endeavor as a career opportunity and the struggles will not be as much as they will if you're always in remediation always in intervention and so beyond that in the fifth grade, I've learned this, and when I first came in this position, I have a, a mentor who was my social studies teacher, uh, Mr. Shrosiak, and he was is an ambassador for between Germany and the United States. Mm-hmm. And so he set it up for me to study the apprenticeship program in Germany and how they work and how it executes throughout the age range. And so the way it works is that in fifth grade, kids are declaring their occupation in regards to the pathways in fifth grade. And within that, based on their score, determines that they go into the career tech sector or what they call gymnasium school, which is college sector. But they always can cross paths later down in in life. And Mm so I began to look at that and then I began to study the different programs. So we went to Bosch, John Deere, Dushy Bank, Seaman, Daimler, studied at each one of theirs. And one that I began to realize is the place of education was in the place of employment. 
Mm-hmm. So it began to make sense. But at the same time, the Chamber of Commerce controlled everything within where you went to get jobs. And so within that, I said, okay, then what do we do with regard to one, pre-K, two, build the power standard to fifth grade, Three, fifth grade is when they take Naviance. Naviance is their career building assessment. Mm-hmm. This allowed to assess kids' strengths and align their strengths to career opportunities. So then we then take that career opportunity and align it to the career tech program. So what we're doing is in the month of September, kids will go through Naviance. Month of October is career celebration month. Mm-hmm. So they'll be speaking about their Naviance reports on morning afternoon announcements, their, their door competitions, hallway competitions. The conversation about career is going to be the culture of that month. Come November, parent-teacher conference, the same conversations happen with the parents so the parents understand their child's strengths and opportunities with those strengths so they can have a constructive dialogue at the dinner table mm-hmm. or in the car, opposed to always saying, what do you want to do? And I don't know, you know, because at the end of the day, the kids don't know. They don't. Right. And so this opportunity allows them to begin to have the conversation. So the parent-teacher conference then leads to the expo, which is the Career Tech Expo at the Seagate Center. We bring all our career tech programs, all our career schools, and as well as industry partners and others who are all within that Seagate Center. And the kids are required to go through their number one, two, and three, mm-hmm. and then they could do an alternative of four and five stations that they visit. So if I'm strong in hands-on activities or whatever that is, I may find myself at the Construction Academy. Mm-hmm. I may find myself at the Advanced Manufacturing that boost. And so what you're doing is expected to go to each one of those. And after those boost, kids do hands-on activity. Within that, they would then at some point do a visitation to a school as well as the location. And then what we want them to do is declare somewhat of a major. Mm-hmm. So in other words, that they have at least some level of focus. And we want to do that all by sixth grade if they choose to go to a seventh through twelfth school. Or 8th grade if they choose to go to a ninth through 12th school. So some of our magnets are 7th through 12. Some are 9 to 12. The goal is to get them from 9 to 12. But at the end of the day, as you can see seamlessly, we are molding that child along mm-hmm. to really understand their strengths, understand opportunities within that strength, for the parent to understand those. Mm-hmm. At the same time, get that child aligned to the right school and the right program to develop that strength. Then that's when the high school comes in and you got soft skills, driver's ed built within their program, internship built into the program, to the signing day, which is employment within itself. And at the end of the day, that's the main goal of of employment as well as college opportunities or enlisting to the armed forces. Well, it sounds like it's something that has been incredibly strategic as you've built it well over a decade Mm -hmm. and continues to grow as you add other magnet schools or other opportunities. And I know Owens has been able to partner with you for several of these different programs, some with degree options, some with CCP courses. And so can you talk a little bit about several of our partnerships? You know, we know that we are involved together with our School of Nursing and Health Professions and what you're doing with Toledo Pre-Med and the Health Science Academy. I know we have more than that, but because so many of our health professionals in the greater Toledo area or throughout our service district completely are Owens grads. And so can you talk a little bit about this and how you've also pulled in business and industry to help with this partnership? So again, it goes right back to the mission and vision, college and career readiness. And what we've done is develop the system and working through partnerships to integrate the two. Mm-hmm. Again, by the time you graduate, you should be graduated with career experience as well as certifications. At the same time, develop college credit to go towards 
the area of interest as well. So what we've done is work with the universities as well as yourselves in regard to developing the pathways. So when these kids come through our programs, particularly at some of these magnet schools or the programs within a traditional school, they are picking up hours towards certification within that respected industry. But at the same time, they are giving the opportunity to go into College Credit Plus and leverage college credit through Owens Community College as well as the university in this area such as BG and University of Toledo that really lays a good pipeline through that. So when you speak on some of the endeavors, again, Owens has a great nursing program. And so what we've done is say, how do we develop an aligned and associate degree track? Uh, we have developed 12 associate degrees within TPS, and many of them are through you in regards to the nursing program. So when we talk about the pre-med and health and science academy, again, one thing that I try to be clear with people is that one, when you come to this school, it's a two-year or a four-year opportunity that you choose based on the conversation with your child and, and yourself. But two, at the same time, when you do come, you achieve no less than a certification as well as a degree. Mm -hmm. So when you go to the two-year route and get an associate degree, you have ability to stack that with phlebotomy, pharmacy tech, as well as uh, STNA, uh, which is required in the very beginning of the junior year. Uh, If they choose to go the four-year route, they can go to pre-nursing, pre-med, as well as pre-biomedical engineer. So again, when you talk about the nursing track, we have developed an articulation with Owens Community College, where these kids will be doing practicum, as well as taking their courses through Owens, getting Owens credit, as well as getting experience within the industry field, that these kids have the ability now to graduate with an STNA certification, as well as an associate degree within the area of whether it's biomedical engineer or whatever else they choose to decide upon. But again, this is all laid out almost like a plug and play. Why? Because the due diligence of Owens and TPS, as well as the university, have come together to say, we've put these pieces together. Let's align it. Now all the child had to do is say, this is what I want to do. And opposed to them having to get with a counselor and pull it all together themselves that we do at the university quite a bit, we now have laid these things out for kids to get the most out of their high school years. And so one, again, doing that at the pre-med. Uh, the other one is over at Toledo Technology Academy of Engineering. We are working with Owens. Owens is bringing on their advanced manufacturing program onto the campus of the Toledo Technology Academy of Engineering. Understand that Owens will be housed there providing advanced manufacturing as well as the associate degree to that program for the students that it will be built into their high school schedule. They may be doing geometry period one, but they're sitting with the Owens instructor or whoever designed to be the instructor of that course, period two and three and et cetera. One of the things that we're looking to do is in the evening hour, bring our graduate from Toledo Technology Academy as well as the school district, um, but bringing them on as well so you have both daytime and evening courses all being provided right on that location and one of the exciting things for that campus is getting a multi-million dollar renovation because we were able to leverage 1.2 million dollars from marcia captors office to be able to provide electronic vehicle center Mm -hmm. again the country is changing economy is changing and we're moving more and more to electronic vehicles and at the same time we are somewhat of the auto area of the country in regard to general motors ford chrysler all these institutions but at the same time we have not developed those educational stations and so now tps will be on the front edge of having a high school that is not only training their students but they're training UAW members within this region to be prepared for electronic vehicles. So at the end of the day, we can keep employment and continue to provide succession for employment within this region. One of the things that we use is that we say, hey, we want to educate our students here Mm -hmm. so they work here in order for them to live here. 
That's how tax base get built upon. That's how you maintain your intellectual capacity of a community. And so, again, it generates revenue within that merely because people are working, individuals are working, they're doing so at a young age to really help contribute to the local economy. And so many of our graduates, much the same, they stay in the area. They stay in the region. That's why they want to go to school here. They're not looking necessarily to go here and then relocate wherever. They want to be part of the community. And I think it's partnerships like these that really make a difference and make it move forward. And that Toledo Technical Academy is one of the first things that you and I talked about a year ago. And to see it come to fruition is pretty exciting with the degree opportunities that are available for students and how we've been able to really align some key efforts Mm -hmm. um, and leverage for how we move forward. And, you know, we even talked about, okay, once a student is done or if a student has completed, then are there opportunities here on the campus outside of Toledo at the Dana Center and being able to move forward? And you had mentioned something a little bit ago about providing seamless transitions for our students. And when we were talking about health professions, you mentioned STNA, our State Tested Nursing Assistant. Mm -hmm. And what I don't know that people realize all the time is by doing that and embedding that in the high school curriculum, we've created a ladder so that if a student decides they don't want to move forward past high school or can't temporarily for whatever reason, they have a certification that they are now employable. And they can do that. It's also required entry for many nursing programs. And so they have that done, and it gives them a foundation to build on that they may not have had otherwise. You're right on point. And so many times I do these presentations of the various magnet schools. And the one thing that I stress throughout the entire presentation, uh, as well as the career tech programs in our traditional schools, is that your child will have not only an academic advantage, but a financial advantage. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Your child will graduate with certification to go as a gainfully employment of higher salaries, a higher stipend through that certification at 18 years of age. But at the same time, they have acquired college credit at no cost other than what we received under tax base for the levy. Meaning what we like to do is stretch every dollar from our levy to get more than just a high school diploma. You should expect more than that. And so and within that, your child should walk out with a certification mm-hmm. as well as walk out with college credit. And many of our cases, such as Twitter Early College, 60% of our graduating class tomorrow will have both an associate degree and a diploma. 60%, 60% of the graduating class. So they are walking out not only getting a high school diploma, but they will be getting an associate degree as well. Oh, that's uh, and that'll amazing. be it tomorrow at our graduation. So I'm excited for them. But we have several students across the district who have achieved just as much. So the story that was in the blade the other day, the young man had just acquired a job from Delta Airlines Mm -hmm. because he has an A&P certification, which is the airframe and power plant, Mm -hmm. which is rocket science, what's in the engines of planes. And this young man will be working for Delta Airlines and anywhere in the country, but he chose to stay here in this region, which really helped in reinforcing educate here, work here, live here. And so we're excited for him as well as many others. Um, but just as you said, there's a lot of great stories where kids who have achieved a lot and you raised the point that why not get this done at the high school level so when you come to us, you're able to advance yourself even further. Mm-hmm.
And so tomorrow is the early college high school graduation. And so that's where the 60% is. Mm-hmm. And that's just amazing. And it's interesting because there's still a lot of confusion about the role of College Credit Plus and the dual enrollment program and the differences between advanced placement and international baccalaureate. Can you talk a little bit about those? I, of course, have my own bias. Right. But if you could talk a little bit about how we leverage CCP versus AP and IB. I think when you look at it, mom and dad and guardians, is that they have become used to the AP format and how it worked and taking courses to get advanced uh, GPA credits and et cetera to really compete to be top in their class. So the state of Ohio, along with other states, have began to develop much more inclusive, integrated ways to bring the university, but to offset college debt in some ways as well mm-hmm. and getting more for your tax dollars than just a diploma. And so College Credit Plus comes aboard. You know, when people ask me and I get my opinion, I would say in essence that one, they can achieve the same. So meaning if you take College Credit Plus, you're going to achieve college credit and you could do the same with advanced placement. Mm-hmm. But the difference is With advanced placement, you have to take an examination and score three or higher to get those college credits. And the College Credit Plus, you just need to pass the course to get the college credit, which is the difference within it, particularly those who know that at the end of the day, they they struggle with testing and other things and testing anxiety, which is a huge uh, issue with some things. This really gives a favorable opportunity in regard to reacquiring. But, you know, it's like I tell parents, get as much college credit as you can while they're with us. Because at the end of the day, you're not having to put the bill at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Once they graduate, then it's figuring it out for yourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and there's the piece about not only having to take a test, but often there's a fee to take a test. Mm-hmm. Those tests are not always scheduled at times or time frames that are convenient. And so for the young person, they are done with school and then are waiting until fall to go to their college campus of choice. So I really think that in terms of being able to get a leg up, be that, prove to themselves that they are capable and able to engage in college coursework to learn the norms of what it means to advocate for yourself because a college course is going to look different than a high school course. Being able to talk to a faculty member, I mean, there's so many things that they learn out of participating in College Credit Plus to where you don't have those same advantages. And it's on their transcript. It's already there. You don't have to wait for someone to interpret it or to apply it a certain way. It's it's there for them. And so I think the CCP program is a huge advantage for many students, for every student, but particularly students who are looking to be cost savvy Mm -hmm. about how do they pursue their higher education goals or even to make a decision if this is what they want or not. You know, just like I tell people when they say all the time in the investment world, the best investment is what's in yourself, which many times is in education. Now I tell people it's an even better opportunity when you're able to get someone else to invest in you. Mm -hmm. And the more that you're being strategic with your children and their pathways of being able to offset the debt by accomplishing as much credit within their high school year as possible, mm-hmm. going after multiple scholarships within those additional years, what many times universities will provide for you for the fact that, you know, graduation is really an, a predictor for them to get dollars from the state, meaning it's no longer enrollment. Now it's about how many kids complete their programs. Mm-hmm. Well, a child who has two years of college credit is more probable of finishing than someone right. who's just coming in right out of, out of high school and starting freshman from day one. So I'm a big fan, and, and I think the point that you alluded to, the relationships are essential. Mm-hmm. Right now, you always hear kids say, oh, I want smaller environments and other things. But at the end of the day, the relationship is the main thing. And it's when you're able to build 
with counselors. You either know where the writing station is, the, the reading station, the math lab, all those things be a support system to you. Uh, really goes a long way, and that happens through College Credit Plus. It really does. And so we spent a good bit of time talking about how we align in terms of higher education and pre-higher education world. Can you talk a little bit about what it is you do to help encourage students to even get through 12th grade? There's so many different pressures that tug on students. And, you know, we alluded to some of it earlier as you talk about, you know, how societal norms kind of manifest themselves in the educational setting. But there's a lot of students who don't make it to 12th grade. And so how do we make sure that we get more and more of them to do that? Those are challenging aspects, particularly in your urban environments when there's multiple challenges, particularly when you have a high level of poverty. In TPS, we are in the top two and three each year of the highest poverty of students age group in major cities mm-hmm. as well as we are the highest every year in homelessness students within the district compared to other urban districts and so it began to recognize all the various challenges and the pandemic just compounded mm-hmm even worse. Um, and so our thing is that providing an ongoing support system of providing hub, which is a coordination of services at various schools throughout the district. We also now are at having a health center mm-hmm. in every high school to provide health, mental, physical, and having doctors come in as well as nurses who are there. And kids can actually come and get real care literally within the schools. One of the biggest aspects within those cares was mental health. Mm -hmm. So depression was a high one, particularly before the pandemic. So it's something that we're able to really address and meet the needs of. We have mental health agencies within our building. Every building has a partner and they align with to provide mental health services. They are required to be in the building, not just show up to the building. That's a huge difference. When they're coming in, pulling kids out of class, no, they are actually part of the school culture. Mm -hmm. They're walking in the hallways, they're in the cafeteria, period all those things reinforcing some of the things that they're teaching the kids within their their one-on-one time but there are just a lot of aspects to address and you know one of the a major one in urban is the mobility we tracked one family with 10 kids down to she south carolina we ended up finding her in las vegas oh my and the 10 kids and set forward but here's the challenge what's in the district If we don't find those kids, they show up at the dropout, meaning that if you can't find them, you're accountable for them to be a dropout. So when you have that type of mobility, we literally have had to generate people searchers or even in essence of going going to bondsmen to help find people Mm -hmm. that just have went off the radar. We found them in the Middle East. We found them in South America. We found them in Central Central America. We have found them over the entire globe of finding kids in order to remove them for my role just to be able to count but again when you look at the challenges of that that when you have that type of mobility you're really battling against that at the same time you're dealing with a report card that says hey here's where your grad rate and all those other things are and you're trying to you know wrap your head around all the scenarios that are happening within this locality kind of switching gears a little bit when you think about the school district it's a very large complicated multi-layered enterprise and one of the things that you've been able to do is for tps the financial rating just got upgraded and so that's not a small feat Um, but (laughs) what does that mean for students the broader community and the school district overall we are excited and uh, proud about how we went about our finances because i think every city will say when it comes to voting time what's on the ballot are the schools asking for more money and one of the things that we've done in 2013 
2013, we made a promise to the community and said, because prior to 2013, we haven't passed for new money in 15 years. Mm-hmm. They've been voted down. You know, and the commitment we said was, if you approve this in 2013, we will not come back on for 10 years. And we have honored every bit of that. Not only have we done that, we have done so in a way that has allowed us to be very successful in our financial management, our financial growth of our revenue. And what we've done, we've presented to our bond rating agency, the ability to continue to acquire a good market share, maintain it over a pandemic, and at the same time, here's the plan to really expound upon that and get much more. They were so impressed with that they recognized that this was a, a true plan that one, they could support, but two, they had improved our bond rating, which for most people who don't understand, that's our credit score for a large institution. The better your bond rating is, the better rate that you get. When you get better rates, so if you think about you know things within your home, if you refinance and were able to get it from 5% to 2%, you save 3% within that time, that's the saving for you. Mm-hmm. Well, we were able to save that same amount of percentage within tax payer dollar to provide now more opportunity for the kids. So with that compound over the last 10 years, we have been very aggressive of refinancing and going for improvement in our bond rating, mm-hmm. which has saved the community $20 million. And so when you see us expanding more and more opportunities, you realize where that reinvestment, where it's coming from and how it's happening. Mm-hmm. So we're just excited. You know, our Treasury Division, Mr. Tech Schulte and his team, uh, you know, the dish across the board, every time we are doing something, there's always a cost out analysis. There's always a fiscal algorithm that says what the ROI to really build upon. And so what we've done has been found ourselves in a good position to constantly revenue additional dollars to be able to scale the district and support our staff. That's pretty amazing. And it's very meaningful in terms of how it translates not only to the district, but to the students and the taxpayers in the area. It's not easy work to do. Well, you know, and they appreciate it because when we have to go on for new money, they recognize we're not only honorable to our word, Mm -hmm. but to the integrity of our finances, they can feel good about and understand that What's said that we're going to do, we end up doing. At the same time, what their fundings usually support. And so we've been able to do a great job of developing a certain ROI to develop our own internal support. Mm -hmm. So we don't always have to go to the taxpayer to say, if you want this new school, this is what it's going to cost you. If you want this type of magnet school, this is what it's going to cost you. And over the course of the time, we have done a great job of launching five different magnet schools. By the time we get to 2024, 2025, we should have 10 magnet schools within TPS. Magnet schools are schools that have no boundary lines kids come from all over the state of ohio some pay tuition out of michigan to attend these schools what schools are they twitter early college twitter technology academy jones leadership academy of business the aerospace and natural science academy which is now breaking into twitter aerospace academy and the natural science tech academy at the same time the pre-med health and science academy eventually we'll have the construction academy the educator academy and we're working on the maritime concept as we speak but again these are all magnet high schools one of the, the benefits of those is that not only are they public schools but like I told a parent, they have private privileges, meaning you have to compete to get in. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you have to maintain a certain academic standard. And at the same time, mom and dad, you have an expectation as well. Mm-hmm. Failure to do so may end up back at your traditional school. And so parents come from all over the region. Uh, we have some who pay tuition to come just to, to attend them. Mm-hmm. But the thing at most is the opportunities and the certification they can get from whether it's the aerospace and getting pilot license, A&P certification or a drone certification to all to the pre-med, being able to get pre-med towards becoming an MD, accomplishing half to three quarters of credit towards a pre-med degree, and to be able to do so for free, merely because you were part of a program that had collaborative partners such as Owens and University of Toledo, who've really paved the way to make this happen. 
So we talked a little bit about partnership, and we know that the kinds of situations that we're looking to solve or create opportunity for are never done alone, but that there's partnerships that are key to moving forward with success. And so as you look ahead for the next three, five, or more years, what are some of the biggest challenges you anticipate facing, and how can partners and partnerships help solve those? Obviously, with the pandemic, I'm going to say in regards to uh, the district-wise, the mobility, the the huge major challenge that we address on a day-in, a day-out basis, for whatever reason, from a home fire to an incident that happened in the community, just shuffled the deck, and we're scrambling to find out who went where. Mm-hmm. You know, an incident happens on the weekend to someone that falls victim to gun violence, family shuffle. So we're now we're trying to figure out who's going where, who's involved where, and all these other things. And so those become quite challenging when your major function is to educate, but you realize there's so much more that you have to take care of in regards to the safety at the same time, knowing the whereabouts of your students. But I think as we continue to move forward, obviously the city's going to continue to settle in and, and really come together to offset the senseless things that we're seeing. But at the same time, us doing our own due diligence as well in regard to how we control the environmental factors within the schools in the surrounding areas as well as communicating with the community as well as our law enforcement and others helps and goes a long way which is reinforced by the opportunity yourself Owens as well as TPS got involved in with PS419 mm-hmm. people that don't know that that is our police as well as fire department coming together with Owens and TPS to generate pathways for our students to get involved what does that mean that means we're able to help in regard to diversity help in regard to development in regard to making sure that those who are working within communities have a relationship because they were born raised here went through a program through mentorship through our own law enforcement and firefighters who really now put kids out in areas to really service this community that is much more effective uh, opposed to disconnects of not being from certain communities and misunderstandings and other things those things are all eliminated when you really groom them from within and it takes the, the ability to entity to make those happen i think one of the major things when you talk about challenges and what i appreciate even most of your coming in tenure is that getting things done you and i talked and say hey what programs or why and i said well for whatever reason it may not get done well I hope we call you back next month to let you know to see if that program got done. And sure enough, there it is. And because what that does is that turns into one program and two programs, and then you really have a great partnership mm-hmm. because there's a reliability and responsibility that's continuously ongoing merely because we're being intentional. Well, so your phone calls were intentional. Absolutely. Well, and you can't be partners if nothing's happening. And to your point, if you're going to build trust, the trust has to come out of something more than just the thin air. And so we both have goals in terms of what we need to do for the populations who've entrusted us in these roles. And so we have to be able to move forward with tangible results and outcomes that are going to make a difference in their lives. I think my staff appreciates it as well. And, uh, and we're going to continue to build upon those pathways as more and more we continue to really seek out the needs and the interests of the community and students and laying those things out. Well, no, I thank you so much. And we have a good team at both of our places that are working hard to make sure that they all get done. As we get close to wrapping up, I'm reflecting on the first meeting that I had in your office. I think I had been here for maybe a month or so, and it was a get-to-know-you meeting. And I think you were wondering kind of how to take this, because after sitting down and looking around for a little while, I said, let me guess, you're a Toledo Rockets fan, because I'm looking at all of the Toledo Rockets information, the helmets, the whole, the whole bit. And so... 
what made you you talked about the person who was the academic advisor for football Mm -hmm. but as you talked a little bit about your background and your dad I kind of could envision you wanting to be a football coach and so did that ever enter your mind or what was the first major that you entered undergrad with I I look at educators as coaches Mm -hmm. and vice versa because at the day teaching and learning is a skill set that many share Uh, some have formalized it and Mm -hmm. so you know just to coaching aspect I always look at being in the classroom as being that coach and being an administrator is actually helping assistant coaches work with their skill position in this case helping teachers supporting teachers to be able to work with each student within their areas and so I look at it under the same framework and lens mm-hmm. even though it might not be the X's and O's that you know I was used to dealing with but it made so much sense in the transition and the need is so big here mm-hmm. that at the end of the day you know when it comes to athletics only so many are going to get in right. and it's just a very small selective population and and I saw what athletes got in essence meaning a support system meaning you had to go to study table wasn't an option you had to get a tutor in reading and math or whatever it was that you had deficiencies it wasn't an option and so through that you know it, it began to show in regard to why individuals were successful within that so how did that become transferable to the general child who's mm-hmm. not an athlete or any of those other things and get afforded the same expectations mm-hmm. for remediation or support to move forward That's wonderful. Everything that we do is about our students and our communities. And I know you have to have thousands of success stories given the size of Toledo Public Schools. But as you approach looking at commencements, things of that nature, what are some of the student stories or one story that sticks out um, for a student who has been successful? There's so many of them. I'll touch base on a few because some are just very hard to signify better than the other. I have one young man that I happened to be walking through the school Mm-hmm. And he was in the main office. Obviously, he was there for trouble and looked at him. And I could tell because he, he wore the emotions on his sleeve. I asked him where he came from, what school. He said he just came to Scott. And what school is he coming from? And he, he named a community that didn't have much diversity. So usually I recognized very quickly that he was in foster care. This young man at 17 years of age had been to 16 foster homes. Oh, my. And some of the things that he had been through, uh, none of us will see in a lifetime, even compounding various people together. And so obviously he wore those things as emotional scars, as physical mm-hmm. scars. I mean, you name it. So I couldn't just walk by and leave him there. So I ended up taking him with me and we walked around and then developed a conversation with him. He became part of our mentorship group, which is Young Men of Excellence, Young Women of Excellence. So what I did with him, because he was a, a tough one to break, and I'd tell individuals, if you really want to break some of the hardest-shelled individuals, is, is take them to the gym. So I took them to the gym with me, and they are so hard to try to shell that they're strong Mm-hmm. that they let themselves go mentally. Mm-hmm. So they're barrier mentally because they're putting too much effort into their exertion and their force. And before you know it, it started breaking down barriers and, and such forth. So I was able to get through to him much more effectively because he didn't have this wall up because workout really got him to bring it down. What I did was connect him to a, a great partnering group, which is Local 500, Mr. Mm-hmm. Fleetwood. They helped, took him in as well. I mean, he went from... You know, ready to drop out, foster care child had been in and out the system to, you know, graduating on time. And I knew the breaking point that it clicked on him is that when it came to around February and he called me, and you know, because he had a hard time asking for stuff. And he called and he says, I need help. And I said, what do you need help? And he said, I need help staying in school. I said, I'm not sure what you mean. Well, I mean, in order to stay in school, I, I got to figure out because I'm 18 and I aged out. 
So what some of you don't realize that if you're in foster care and you turn 18, when you turn 18, the state no longer has to support and financially support you. He had to figure out where you're going to live. So what we did was end up working with the individual he was working with from Children's Services, and they made a promise that if he graduated and stayed in good standing, they would continue to pay for his foster stay. And so he did just that, graduated on time. He now works Local 500, doing construction all over the city area, has become a constructive individual. And those are the things that I like because I'm from the east side. So, you know, I like seeing those come from modest means. The deck is stacked against you, Mm -hmm. and you rise up above all means to make something of yourself. Those are a true story, and we have a few of those. And then the other one's a great story. A young man who was heartbroken because he wanted to go to a particular private school, got in, but then realized that he had to cut his Jamaican braids. Obviously, if you know the, the relationship between you know having braids and, and Jamaican, that's part of their cultural roots. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can remember the day calling his mom and said, I got something for him. Uh, as well as the sister and uh, he ended up going on to the aviation school and despite what a document would say about his learning he ended up being able to produce power plant which is combustible engines which is really being rocket scientist to being an airframe mechanic a power plant mechanic got his pilot license and so his goal is to work for delta airlines we aligned that and so for delta airlines which many don't know it takes more than just the license but it takes a degree as well Uh, so he has set himself up for that within it but again turning adversity around Mm -hmm. to a successful way for yourself are the true elements what motivates me each and every day gives me goosebumps and what keeps me inspired the reciprocity of energy from children to to myself as well as adults and in, in the field that we work in. Those yeah. are wonderful stories and yeah. it's it's those kinds of things where you remember the outcome and know the impact that it's had on on someone's life. I mean I got a young man that I had since he was kindergarten. No matter where I went, I moved around from a dean, assistant, a principal and other things. And every time I moved to school he would move. <laughs> he wouldn't tell me he would just show up one day and I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and so then next thing you know I came into the central office level so he couldn't just follow me central office then he found out I had a mentorship group so he joined the mentorship group <laughs> uh, what's so funny is he he just completed HBCU he went into the field of education mm-hmm. and going to be working for us as a teacher but you know like I tell individuals kids and children see everything they and do. they pick up on everything and at the end of the day you'd be surprised what they emulate if you're doing constructive things they emulate constructive things mm-hmm. if you're doing destructive things they emulate destructive things and so mm-hmm. it's always joyful to see someone want to be a reflection of yourself so highest form of flattery <laughs> right, right. So I always laugh but it's nice to see and I think one of the nice things about that is that it's someone who from the area who will stay in the area you had mentioned PS419 the last podcast we interviewed the new chief of Toledo Fire and Rescue Allison Armstrong who's an Owens alum who's oh. from the area you, know, you didn't go away and come back right. you, you stayed here throughout and so I think it really just helps highlight how many good things are happening in Toledo and Northwest Ohio and our region and all of the gems that we have and how we can all work together to continue to make it a better place, but to support one another as we go through the journey of improving who we are. Yeah, and because I always laugh and I always make it a point Mm -hmm. to connect with people and always get, I didn't even know who my superintendent was. I I don't even know if I knew anybody who knew, you know, and I got my little kindergarten telling me who you are and, you know, and just the young lady we just met, you know, out in the library Mm -hmm. and, you know, she talked about her mom and, you know, because that reinforced 
sports is at the end of the day, are you really making connections in a way that you need to, mm-hmm. that people understand? They may not know everything that you do, but they know the work that you do. And at the end of the day, they want to join in hands. And um, that's an appreciation I have for Owen because they recognize that together we're, we're better off and the community better off. I think so. I think that there's a lot more that we can achieve through partnership than we can individually because we're all working for the same purpose. That's right. And so, and that's probably why we, we appreciate our partnership with TPS as well. I can't tell you how happy I am that you were able to come onto our podcast. And so we appreciate the partnership that we have with TPS. We're just excited to have you as a guest. Thank you and looking forward to keeping it going. All righty. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Durant, thank you so much for your insights into K-12 education and the critical points where we can all make a difference in our students' futures. One thing that really stands out to me is how important it is to establish clear pathways to higher education and to career opportunities so that our students can really envision what their next steps can look like and know that their dreams are achievable. As Owens continues to expand our presence in Toledo, it's so heartening to know that we have such a strong partner in TPS. That's true both for the TPS students who enroll at Owens and in our shared priority to get local business and industry involved in the education and opportunities we provide. As the job market continues to evolve, we need to keep evolving as well, and it's connections like this that will enable our whole community to thrive. No matter where you're starting from or where you hope your education will take you, Owens and TPS are here to help you reach your fullest potential. Thanks again to Dr. Durant and to all of our listeners. Be sure to subscribe and join us for future episodes. Next time, we'll be talking to Dean Monsky, President and CEO of the Regional Growth Partnership. Until then, take care.